Because we're we're explicitly beautiful, Max. <laughs> we are. We are explicit. I uh, yes. I I uh, paint with with swears. Oh. That is my medium. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So you're an artist. Tell me about that girl who's like Finn's family. Finn's family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, American American work ethic culture is just so interesting to me because, and. My friend Finn is is a lot more into that, and he has experienced that a lot more than I have because I was in Wisconsin where nobody works <laughs> except like farmers, and then they go home and drink beer. But I, so he, what he experienced was this incredible work ethic to like do your work and then exercise and then go to bed and start all over, right? And I feel like that's just something that in Europe people handle their work very differently. People tend to work in order to then make money and enjoy their life that's rather the, than making work their life, you know? Yeah, that's the that's the um the French thing. I remember when I was living in France they talked about like, oh you like Americans, you know, they live to work, but Europeans they work to live. Yeah. But I mean I guess just in like larger part you were talking a little bit, it seemed when you said like, oh work, work 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 and then exercise and then go to sleep. Like that to me, I, I guess I do think of that as an American thing. What what I thought you were saying was that like there was not necessarily like the same amount of like passion for different subjects. That, like I think that mm-hmm. I think that's um I think that I definitely do find that in Europe. You mm-hmm. do find a kind of Right, I think, and I think it's dangerous to fall into that trap of like learning for the sake of learning, you know? That was actually, so there's this German scholarship that partially funds my studies here, and they, they have interviews, and one of the people who interviewed me, he asked me, because we were talking a lot about literature and music and a lot of these things I didn't necessarily grow up with. Like, my parents didn't really listen to classical music. I kind of discovered that by myself and on my own. And he was asking me whether I was consuming these types of things for the sake of knowing them and because I felt like they were things I needed to know to be, like, a cultured human being. And I think that's a really, really interesting... Or it, it triggered a lot of interesting thoughts in me that I maybe hadn't thought before, you know, because I feel like that's something I, I then didn't wonder about, like, why am I doing these things? And I kind of had to, in convincing him, I also realized myself that I'm doing these things because I enjoy them and because I really want to be doing them and because I'm eager to learn about them. But I think it's an interesting it's an interesting thought to have, like, are you doing these things for the sake of doing them and for the sake of, like, being knowledgeable and cultured and... Why do you think that's important? Right, and well, I think there's a, a like a little bit of a distinction to be made, just in terms of like you know, I can read like I really like Hamlet, but I didn't read much to do about nothing. Like I had to for school, but it's also something where I think it's not necessary. I guess you're talking a little bit about intentionality, and I think one of the things is like, well, if you're doing it because you want to name drop, like that's a little bit less legitimate. But if you are reading Ulysses or Moby Dick or Goethe, right? Um, it, it is a little bit of a, I, I, I think in some sense, it's like, yeah, well, you know, um, I, I want to be able to say that I read this. But on the other hand, I think that it's also sort of important to get those kinds of basic, you know, things which are spread in everything, right? If you read like T.S. Eliot, you know, uh, he's got so many references to all these sort of separate things. Mm-hmm. And I think having having that kind of knowledge, that sort of classic education, um, can be can help you unlock uh, a lot of you know modern and you know even just a little bit older literature right right yeah yeah i it was just it was it's interesting to me because i didn't grow up in that kind of culture right and mm-hmm. and seeing how people who exp- or even like thinking ahead 20 years from now I don't think I'll have kids, which is something that we also want to talk about, but, but thinking at and, and, and considering like what would I do if I were to bring up a child, that is super interesting to me. Like How would I culture them? How would I bring religious experiences to them? And I guess it was, it's just interesting to me coming from a different background, seeing how Europeans do it and how Americans do it and how the differences there vary sometimes, you know? Right, and I think also, it's and it, it, you, you bring up an interesting point, you know, and we, we sort of, uh, this is something I thought about before, you know, is what we, talk, what we term sort of like the Western canon, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, where it's sort of these these books that everyone, you know, everyone's read the Bible and everyone's read, you know, 
um, Voltaire, and we have sort of this list of, of you know, you go back to Aeschylus and then you you start. You know what I mean? Um, and I, you know, it, it is it is interesting, but it's also I think, and I think that this is something that, of course, has been talked about at Harvard because that's one of the things that is talked about. But I think it is very sort of Occidental in its in its worldview, and uh, I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting to see how one might integrate voices that come. Like we don't read the you know Sanskrit Vedas, right? Mm-hmm. You know th- these other sort of um, more Eastern uh, traditional literature. Like I think that would be an interesting thing to explore and also incorporate. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, so you were just touching on that with, with your Hamlet thing, right? Like, what are the things, do you actually need to like them or do you need, do you need to just have read them? You know? Well, yeah, well, the, I, don't, I don't think you really have to like anything, but I mean, I, I think that one of the, the reasons, I, I, I will know after sort of castigating the Western canon, defend the Western canon in the sense that, you know, Hamlet grapples with a lot of universal human thoughts and emotions and, and what, you know, the human, the human experience. Right. Um, and I think that even if, even if you don't love to be or not to be, which I don't understand how you couldn't, you, you can still sort of understand and empathize with Hamlet's character. You know what I mean? Uh, which I think is, which I think is something that, you know, you, that, that, that is something that can be found. Like I could read, uh, I've never, I haven't really read very much Chinese literature. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you read whatever things fall apart. Um, and even though Africa is so incredibly separated from my experience, right? I don't know what it's like to have a shaman. Um, but, you know, you, you, you can still sort of uh, put, put yourself in their simple shoes. You know what I mean? Which is why it's great, right? It makes you feel less lonely in a way. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So you're writing a play. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk to you about this. Okay. So what I'm thinking of is... Uh, is I want to do a play, but I want it to be like deconstructed, right? So the first part is it's the music of the play, and then the second part is the dialogue of the play, and then the third part is acted out silently, mm-hmm. where you where you sort of have like this similar narrative, but then you change the way that you are sort of in, uh, interacting with it. And I was thinking on the stairs coming down while we were doing it, I was talking about how like I figured it out. Is that like it's about the concept of image and um, that kind of this. Mm, I guess it's a little bit, a little bit Marshall McLuhan-y, you know what I mean? Where it's, you have something that's very abstract. I think that probably it would be orchestral arrangements rather than, I wouldn't really want necessarily lyrics, right? Because the point of that is that you have this sort of like very abstract thing, which is, um, you know, Schubert can make me cry, but he can't, it's not because I like understand the sad story, right? right. And then dialogue here, we have, um, you have the spoken word, right? And, uh, which is in some ways more permanent and, and more explicit, right? But not, but still something that is, that is not concrete, right? You know, um, and is fleeting, right? Once you say a word, you can't, you can't get past it. And then, you know, image, which is the, what we sort of both believe and just as visual creatures. And also I think it sort of touches a little bit upon maybe even like some Baudrillard stuff, right? With the, 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 you know, the tyranny of image where you have like, this is the most concrete, right? Mm-hmm. The pics or it didn't happen kind of thing, you know, which I, which uh, again, with my photography class were uh, not exploring as much as I wanted to, but something that the way that we interact with truth and the world is so mediated now by, by image, right? right. Um, and I think that sort of exploring those, exploring the, the, the difference in abstraction in terms of storytelling, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, is, mm-hmm. is one of those things that I think would be really interesting. Right, yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I'm really attracted to film as a medium is, one, because it brings all of these forms together, mm-hmm. right? It, it's a very, it's a visual medium, obviously, but audio is so important, and and writing is so important in, in the sense that storytelling is really important, and I think that's it's a super interesting idea. How do you experience, how do you expect to have the audience experience that in the theater context? See, the thing that I was thinking is when you said film, because I was thinking about the film too, but the thing that I, I don't necessarily like the physicality of, and I guess, I guess that's the point, right? The point of the whole image is that it is, it is image, right? Rather than, rather than someone who's actually there. Uh, so yeah, maybe film might actually be a better medium, right? But what I would, what I would, um, how it would present it, yeah. I guess in a play context, it would be, yeah, you just, you sit down and then the orchestra plays, you know what I mean? And I think that, of course, you would want to select pieces that sort of have a kind of narrative arc um, and then have people speak the lines of dialogue. 
um, and then have actors come out and do the dialogue but not say anything. Right? Okay, but but so would you have three separate acts, or would you have the first act and the first part of the first act? It's just the music for the first act, and then the dialogue. Oh, that's an interesting. Yeah, you can separate it, so it's not it's not it's not wholly. That yeah, I guess that would that would be probably sort of like not necessarily easier to do, but I think would allow a little bit more freedom just in terms of it's like you know what did he say you know I can't remember right it I'm not matching those up yeah yeah a yeah, better yeah. understanding mm-hmm. for the audience yeah um, but I guess with film yeah it would be that would also be something that I guess I'd be interested in I, again this is something that you know like no one would watch right but that's the thing. I just think I think it's. There, you it's can, very in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, you can get anyone to watch anything. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm sure that there will be like five people who love it. Um, but yeah, no, just have just have you know musical selections and then um, post it on Instagram. Well, that's right. <laughs> post it on yeah hashtag. Um, no, and then so I, you would film everything right, and you would have the sound, mm-hmm. and so you just take the sound and you put and that play after the thing, right? Yeah, and then you would have the, what you filmed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is one of the things that, that I was thinking about just because it, it is, I don't know, I really like, I really like image and communication and, and what, what medium is and, and, uh, what is concrete, you know? Um, and yeah, so that was, that's my idea. Probably a little bit of a pipe dream, but something that I should, mm-hmm. that I, you know, want to work on. Cause I want to, yeah, I want to make things. Yeah, I was, I was actually talking about this with Barty before that over the summer, I was like, you know, I really want to go to the Amish and learn how to make chairs, right? Because they make great chairs, like they, you know, um, they make great chairs. And uh, I'm, even though I can't really make IKEA furniture, I think that like, man, creation is something that I feel like I do so rarely. And I think one does so rarely. Not that we're just getting in being this uh, whole other show that everyone has done before, but you know, <laughs> actually creating things, right? <clears throat> it's difficult to do. And I feel like, you know, we are so much, you know, we say consume, that's true. I, I consume so much, you know what I mean? And of course, you write papers and stuff like that, and I enjoy writing, but definitely not doing as much of it as I think I should be doing, you know what I mean? Just right. because it, it, there is a real satisfaction in having made Oh, it. absolutely. I want to circle back to one thing. You were talking about architecture as well in relation to that play. Oh, 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 that was just, it wasn't necessarily related, but I think um, when I talk about, when I was talking about the play, I was sort of thinking about experimentation. Right, and I think of that film as being relatively like the, the concept of that film as being relatively experimental, right? Um, and, and so I was just thinking about architecture that I think it would be fun to do like an installation where it was like a house, but but sort of it was um, it was like not it's like not good, right? So there are like steps, but there's no door, right? Or oh. or, or you know you have you have like really really low ceilings, maybe um, where it's like difficult to get in, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe all the chairs are in one room, like there aren't chairs around. It's just all the furniture. This is the furniture right. room, and then you, there's the only like one window, but it's in a room that doesn't have a door, so mm-hmm. you can't see out the window. Um, and the the reason why I was thinking about that is just because uh, thinking about human habitation as being so. The reason why human habitation is. Uh, the way it is, obviously, this is this needs need not be said. Though I will say it, um, that we are meant to live there, right? The reason why the, the the ceilings aren't this low is because people have to fit, right? And and just thinking about creating spaces that are almost hostile to me seems like an interesting thing because it is it is a reversal, right? It, I, I you take it and you turn it, right? Where you say the creation of this space you know, seems to be for human habitat, right? It is, that's what like houses are for, that's what homes are for, that's why we, that's why we build skyscrapers, right? And say, you know, wrong, no, opposite, you know? Mm-hmm. It's almost the uncanny, uncanny valley thing as well because you have everything that's supposed to be in a home, but it's just different enough that it's not, right? And, and Freud, not Freud, Freud would probably call this too. Yeah, he would call it this. And also Heidegger, they both talk about this a little, or, or a word that I really like in German. Um, it's called uh, unheimlich, mm-hmm. which in German, which in English is uncanny, right? And and f- both Freud and Heidegger talk about the sort of kind of you go in and it's it's unhomely, right? You you it's it's that dream where you're it's that feeling where you're it's jamais vu, right? You are in a place which is so familiar, and yet there is a kind of there is a sense of uneasiness. You know what I mean? And and to me that um, I I really sort of enjoy that that feeling and, and trying to create that in other people that it, that it sort of allows me to think about things um, backwards, mm-hmm. you know, because we're always thinking about things, I'm always seeing things forwards and right side up, you know what I mean? And I like turning things on their head and, and you know, thinking about it mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, awesome. I think, I think 
the what you were talking about just before this is the the creation versus consumption thing, right? That's I actually wrote an article about this a couple of months ago, and I feel like everybody likes to write about what they like. You know, like everybody, everybody can write about film. Everybody can write about their favorite pieces of music. Everybody can write about theater. But actually going out and and writing and directing a play, making a movie, making music. You know, like people do that, but they they're most of the time. I feel like people write and say they love this thing, but they don't actually go out and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something that. I wouldn't say I, I fear it because I know like I've done in the past, but it's something that I I've, I've been conscious of, especially coming here and and being here for a year and kind of exploring one what do I want to do, but also wh- which are the communities which I want to get into and and how do they relate to what I want to make and what I want to create, and I feel like I haven't met a lot of people who actually create. I've just met a bunch of people who like to think and write about things, you know? Well, and then it comes, well, but the other thing is, is, you know, the validity of that, right? Like think and write about that. Like for me, you know, I haven't written a book, you know, but I have written things for myself that I really like. Um, and that, that then this comes into a different thing, which is like, well, writing and thinking about things, is that also a kind of creation? I know what you're saying, right? Critics are, it's, it's second tier, right? Critics are second tier. Roger, Roger Ebert, and this has been talked about before, of course, you know. Um, Roger Ebert uh, is a great writer and an awesome reviewer and, uh, you know, wrote a bunch of really excellent stuff, but he didn't make any movies, you know what I mean? And, and that's not to, that doesn't delegitimize the work that he was doing, but it isn't, it's not an opus, right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a thing outside of himself, right? right? It's always sort of, and maybe it's because everything always is built on everything else, but it, it is very much, uh, he could only become who he was sort of on the backs of other people. Though that is totally, you know, we are always standing on the backs of giants, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and, and, and I, so yeah, no, I, that's really, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if, it's necessarily maybe maybe everybody doesn't need to go out and make a film. You know? No, no, and everybody can't, right? Not just because they physically or, or mentally can't, but if we if everybody's creating and nobody's thinking about what's being created, that's also bad, right? Mm-hmm. I just feel like, and that's kind of the question I was posing in the article: is like, is this something about Harvard and the place that we're in and the communities that we're in, or is it something that? I'm experiencing in general. Is it just me? Like, am I a person who wants to create and who's been writing a lot and thinking a lot more than creating? And that's kind of upsetting myself. But what, so is, is, is it something about the community here that makes us more thinkers than writers and more thinkers than creators? Right. Yeah. But again, with this distinction, like what, what, what are you, what do you, what, what does creating look to you look like to you if it's not writing and thinking? So writing and thinking is super important, but writing and thinking about creations is different from creating the creations that you write and think about, right? So what, give me an example of a thing that you want to like, that you want to create. So I really like by the end of college, I want to have at least two short films made, right? And that is very different to me than thinking and writing about the movies that other people create. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Interesting movie that we should definitely watch that you might not really like, but is really interesting. It's called The Pervert's Guide to Ideology. It's mm-hmm. this um, philosopher who, I have one of those one of those shirts with his name on it. His name is Slavoj Žižek. He's Slovenian. Um, and he, ta- uh, he talks about sort of his um, philosophy and applying it to film. And it goes through like different, it goes through like A Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, even like television advertising and um, Sound of Music. In any case, I, I think it's a super interesting movie. We should totally watch it. Also, you said you said before you, uh, introducing religious experiences to them. So, what, what, what? To me, when I think of, of something like a religious experience, right? And, oh my God! Uh, sorry, I'm always referencing people, and I'm such a cock. It's fine. <laughs> Freud. I just was reading Freud, right? So he talks about he's got the first chapter of Civilization and Discontents. He talks about the oceanic feeling. What he calls uh, he calls the oceanic feeling, which is uh, he was talking to a, he was talking to one of his 
uh, a different author about where religion comes from and sort of talking about the oceanic feeling where the oceanic feeling comes from. Um, Which the oceanic feeling? Where you sort of feel connected to the universe, you know what I mean? Where it's like very kind of squatsy, like Buddhist sort of, I am, we are all the same thing. And uh, so he's talking about this and he's also saying, he's also, he's denying that that's really where religion comes from. Um, But he, he does talk a little bit, which I thought was interesting, and we'll talk about the religious experience after this, after a brief foray into this thing, which is that the, the oceanic feeling actually comes from uh, the, sort of the the the, tra- tra- uh, the violent rending from the womb of a baby, right? Where you are you are encapsulated, and your 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 world, and you you don't know where your skin ends and the world begins. You know what I mean? And this is very much like, you know you were, this is even deeper where it's like, you know, we were two zygotes or not zygotes, two, it was a spermatozoa and an ovum. And you know, that there was this, there was a thing, there was not a thing. And there was a thing, was a thing. right. Which is sort Talk of like, about creation. Yeah. Well, really super. Yeah. The, the creation. Yeah. Um, and that once you get out into the world, right, you do have to sort of delineate where your ego ends and the outside world begins. Right. But, but that, um, that oceanic feeling is very sort of prenatal, you know what I mean? And very much sort of that, that to me seems like something that's a religious experience that I've had before. It's sort of not necessarily just a feeling of like, oh, we are all related and, you know, I can hear the grass breathe. Um, but, you know, other sorts of feelings of what I would term the sublime, right? Where you are sort of, you are transported. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't know, are, when, you, when you say give religious experiences to your, to your children, which you will not have, uh, what, what, what would those be? So, first of all, Freud, I think Freud is so interesting because so much of what he said and thought was just scientifically wrong, right? And that is super interesting to me because he had so many great ideas, but he was not applying the scientific method, and, and that's just super interesting. Religious experiences, I... I was brought up Catholic and, but never super faithful, you know, like it's not like my parents went to church with me every Sunday and I was not sent to religious school or anything like that. I had my first communion and, and at the time I, I felt connected to religion and I felt religious and faithful, but then I, that kind of waned off, I guess, a little bit as I grew older, and I don't even really know why. I couldn't I couldn't tell you why that happened. It just I guess my rational mind took over and I saw unanswerable questions and I decided that you can't answer them or that I can't answer them and I accepted that, but that drew me away from religion in a way. But as I grew older I also learned a lot more about different religions, right? And I learned about you know, Buddhism and and Judaism and and Islam and I. It it always seemed to me that it's so strange how arbitrary religion is in a way. You know, like you you're born into a family of Christians and you're Christian, right? You're born into a family of Jews and you're Jewish, but you really have no choice in the matter and. I guess I don't. I have no statistics on this, but it seems to me that not a lot of people convert to other faiths because most of the time you're just not exposed to them. What you grew up with defines you so much, and this is not just a religious thing, but in general, right? Like the things you grow up with will define the rest of your life so much, and and that is something I would be in a hypothetical bringing up children setting super worried about. How can I? give them as broad an experience as possible, right? How can I offer them different viewpoints and make them choose, but at the same time, not overwhelm them, not, you know, not, not give them no options by giving them too many options. Totally. You know? yeah. 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 No, yeah, I get that. Definitely. Yeah. And that's, that's so true, you know, about the, the whole exposure thing where it, 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 of course you don't want to be, and this is one of the wonderful things about, I think about being at an institution of higher learning that, you know, I have met so many different people, People who are not, when I say so many different people, I mean people who are very different from me, right? Or and from my experience and, and those kinds of things. And that's been incredibly broadening just in terms of thinking about things and encountering other people. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I, that I love about this. But, you know, it is true that there are, that it's a, this is a rare place to be. And, and it just, I think, and not just here, but I think at institutions, right? Where they, where, you know, sort of the liberal arts are very much, um, 
focused upon and sort of thinking about the way that we think, right? Meta thinking is sort of I, a lot of what that is, you know what I mean? Of taking ourselves out of ourselves, right? Putting, not allowing ourselves to be the center of our own universe, you know? Um, and, but you know, it's true that, that man, it's just not, it's not the way it is in a lot of the places back where I live, you know, it's not, not, not like that at all. And I don't know, I, I, I so value being able to think about things, right? But I don't know if other people necessarily do like, like to do that, you know? And, and whether that is good, I don't know if one can even make a value judgment. Right. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost like, it's almost relating that back to, to the children thing. It's almost like you should teach them to, to be so like to make their life about inquiring and learning things and then choosing whatever they believe, right? Rather than, it's almost like you, you shouldn't give them the options. You should just tell them like, there's this thing called religion that people like to do <laughs> and, and, and here inform yourself if you want to. And, and, but instill that informing in them rather than informing them. You know, it's almost like the, the, the not giving the men something to eat, but teaching them how to fish, you know, right, like that. Yeah, yeah, Sending them on like a spirit quest or something. Make right. Them, make them take a lot of peyote and go in the desert. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just like, you know, do the, do the offering. You yeah, know, like say, right. like, look, if we were Christian, this is what I'd be doing to you right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give peyote. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, wow, it's so, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know if curiosity is a thing that you, I hope that it's a thing that you can teach. Um, because I find that to be one of the things about myself that I, that I am very, very happy about, that I am a curious person. Because that is, that is one of the, one of my, I feel like a characteristic that really defines me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and just makes, man, just life to me is so much more interesting when you're curious, right? When you, when you go out and when you go out, right? It, it, when I think, I think often, and I, of course I am totally not the, uh, I don't practice what I preach because you know me, I'm always playing threes and you know, doing a bunch of bullshit and stuff like that. Right. And I will own that, but really going out, you know, you, you make a great point with the whole, uh, telling them that there are options and then saying like, you know, you must, you must act, right? That this is an active thing that you have to sort of encounter the world and you have to, you have to get the clay and you have to, you have to push on it. And, you know, we've talked about this before, right? The whole, the, you know, the shaping, right. That it, that it takes, it takes work. But, but, uh, to me that work is, is absolutely a pleasure. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Where do you think your, I mean, in particular, your intellectual curiosity comes from? I would say, you know, I, um, that's a great, that's great. That's why I was wondering if you could teach it or not, because I think just having one, having older brothers and sisters, um, I think helped me a lot just because it exposed it, when you, when the, the level of diction at the, at the dinner table is higher than yours by, you know, my, my brother is five years older and my sister is seven years older is so much higher than yours. You have to sort of, um, you are, you are, you are pushed, right? You know, if you, if you play soccer with people who are worse than you always, you don't get better at soccer. Right. Um, and so that was something that just, just because I wanted to speak, you know, I, I had to, I had to learn. <laughs> That's probably why I speak so much now, um, and eat food very quickly. I eat food super quickly because if my brother is there, it's just like, you know, this just gone. Um, so that's what I gobble. But I think that had to do with it. And you know, my parents, my dad, uh, you know, super smart guy and really, uh, really interested in a lot of stuff. And my mom just just loves to read and has you know made me made incredible book suggestions. She she loves history. Um, and my dad is a big science guy. Uh, so that just is, um, I think that probably, I think growing up, yeah, it was, it was something where, you know, there were always books in the house and everyone was always reading. And that was something that I think, uh, I really dove into wholeheartedly because it was a thing that, that, you know, takes you out of yourself. And additionally, I gotta say, um, when we talked about, <laughs> this may be a little bit too candid. Uh, we talked, we talked about, um, at, at, uh, at lunch about how you, you're not, you're not hot enough to to not be interesting, you know what I mean? But I think also, man, being a, being a fat kid, I think really, really helped in terms of, you know, frankly, like escapism, right? You know, if you read Harry Potter over and over, you're not really, you know, it doesn't matter if you're fat because you're reading Harry Potter, right? You are, you are taken out of yourself, you know what I mean? So that was one of the things that, you know, that drove that. And also just because, uh, Man, I don't know. I think reading is such a such a great thing. Learning is such a uh, such a pleasure, and um, there's some people who don't feel that. And you know what? I think it's also pretty much okay. But I, I can't 
it, it worries me because I can't think of a time when I won't want to keep learning, right? right? And it's hard to it's hard to do because you know what what you know what are you gonna, what are you going to be doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting to me because I I feel that same way full circle about creating and making things, you know, like I, I cannot picture myself retiring in that sense. You know, I will, I will always be wanting to tackle the next thing, be doing something better, be doing something else. And I guess because I never had any experience that, that made me or that forced me to become intellectually curious, right? I, I didn't, my parents didn't necessarily do that, although I always read a lot, but I read a lot of fiction mostly. And in class, like teachers would push me to learn more, but that was just because I would have been bored in school otherwise a lot of the time, in younger years at least. And so I, I kind of, I, I set out for myself and, and just did things, I made things, you know, like stupid YouTube videos and wrote a bunch of stories. And that was always, that was always just what I, it was what I did, it was what defined me. And it's interesting to see how we kind of arrive in a very similar place, mm-hmm. right? But from very, very different perspectives. I like your, I'm your, like, you know, crazy guy that you're bringing from the street to, like, help you. You know, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your Bukowski, right? I come in and sort of, like, shit on your couch and then, you know, you make art about it. Oh, have you, have you, have you heard Merlin talk about the cat shitting on his pillow yet? When did you get into philosophy? Um, I got into philosophy, well, I used to be super into apologetics and that sort of was a step into older, right, apologetics, a lot of, you know, you have the theological argument, you got to stay on Augustine, you got to Aquinas, stuff like that, who are, um, you know, these church fathers are definitely, you know, working within, uh, and this is true, Kierkegaard talks about this, uh, in fact, we're learning, I'm talking about it right now in existentialism, um, there are these, these sort of very, very different approaches uh, within apologetics and sort of, you know, the intellectual tradition of Catholicism. One of which is very Greek, right? So Platonic and Aristotle, right? Virtue ethics is pretty much what what uh, Aquinas is, you know, says is the is the Christian way, um, and also you know Judaism, which is very much so. You know, uh, the Greeks are very much they are analytic in some ways. They are eternal, right? You have these you have Pythagoras, you have these eternal shapes, and you know Plato's like, well, you know, what are the things which are the absolute of that thing, the platonic ideal. What is the platonic ideal chair, right? That there, there are sort of these these concepts which are super, they are not necessarily supernatural, but they, they, they are not encompassed by the universe. They exist some, and so they're transcendental in some ways. And the Jews are so much about a single people, a single book, God, Abraham, Isaac, right? There is a bloodline. It is very much tied with um, I'm sorry, you asked me when I got into philosophy. I'm not really telling you, but I am, I am telling you about <laughs> it's Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Um, very much tied to, very almost earthy, right? You know, that's why that's they have Zion, right? That's why they have Israel. It's the, they are, you know, this is the land of milk and honey, right? This is God come, comes down. And, you know, this comes, you can tell Jesus was a Jew and that the Jews were. The Jews, I think if Jesus, if there was a Jesus for the Greeks, they would have been like, well, you know, I don't really, you know, God doesn't, God's like a, God's a mathematician, right? He's not going to send down a son, right? But I think for the Jews, it was like, you know, especially because they taught, of course, it's been prophesied that there was going to be a Messiah. But um, that that was very much like, yes, okay. I think that's why, of course, at the time, the Jews were not super happy with some backwater preacher from Nazareth coming in and saying he's God. But uh, I think that that tradition is very much tied up with, you know, Christianity. In any case, those two things are in Aquinas. I started reading Aquinas, um, and then I—I uh, I don't know. You know, I never really had any philosophy courses, but I—I I just, you know, I got to tell you, Wikipedia. It was something where it's like I have been—I've been thinking about metaphysics for like a really long time, or ontology, right? Like thinking about thinking about the fact that I do exist and what that means, right? You know, and not even like what that means in terms of like, what is human life, what is valuable in human life, but like, what is, what is if an object is physical, like what is that, right? What is an object? You know, what is, what, uh, trying to, I've always, and I actually wrote my college uh, paper about this, because I really, I use the example of cooking with my mom, right? Where you take these sort of elemental things and you make it into something greater, right? Um, 
and trying to get down to the bottom of things, right? To like the most, the uncut, right? The atom, right? There's like nothing below that. Is that desire has been with me as far as I can remember. And, I, and once I found philosophy, it was like, wow, this seems very much like what, what philosophy is, is about, right? This, this sort of, this incredible search, that this incredible drive to, to get down, right? And so I just really uh, was very enthralled. And so that's why I decided to do philosophy. How old were you? When, um, like, especially like, the apologetic stuff. Oh, apologetics, I'd say like 12 and 13, 14. Um, and then philosophy was more like 15, 16, 17. Um, I didn't really start like reading, reading uh, uh, like books by philosophers. I mean, I would read it sort of about them and people talking about their work and stuff like that. But like reading books by philosophers, maybe like junior year, I'd say like seventeen, something right. like that. Um, so yeah, that's 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 my story in terms of of uh, why I like to think about the things that I do. And, and the other thing is, you know, we talk about the film, and I was going to recommend to you this guy named Todd McGowan, who Lev uh, uses a lot for his debate stuff, who talks about, he's actually a, um, he, he teaches film in, at the University of Vermont, but also does it in uh, using, sorry, Lacanian psychoanalysis. I, I read his book, or I read bits of his book that Lev showed me, and it was really, it was really interesting. And the, the whole sublime of the, the Pervert's Guide to Ideologies, I just, I really, film is such a, uh, it just encapsulates so much, right? And um, it's just a, it's just a medium that I think is, is so, so stark um, in a lot of, in, a, in ways that a lot of other mediums, a lot of other media isn't. Right. So, it, it's interesting because I, while I've always thought a lot about philosophy, I never really got into reading a lot of philosophy. You know, so I'm familiar with a lot of philosophical concepts and ideas, and and I know a little bit about like on the meta level about philosophy, right? But I never actually started reading a lot of philosophers' work because I always felt like, or for for a long time, I felt like philosophy to me is something personal almost, you know, I want to make my own thoughts rather than reading about other people's thoughts, which is part of the reason I never really liked taking philosophy classes in high school. And now I feel like if, if philosophy had been brought to me in a different context in school, you know, it would have been a lot more interesting to me to read a lot more philosophy. And I'm obviously, I'm, I'm young and I have time to read a lot of philosophy still, but I feel like my formative years where philosophy could have been really, really interesting to me and, and formed me a lot more significantly than it maybe can now. They're behind me. And that's sad in some ways. I say it's never too late, dude. There, I, one of the things that I think about philosophy more than, more than even being like, well, I needed, it must, it, it had to have been instilled. It, 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 you, you sort of are like, it's too late in the baking process to add more water to the dough, right? It's just going to be, it's going to be a dry dough, you know? Um, but I think that one of the, even more so than, than simply like having sort of maybe an, an ethic, I guess, or, or, or a moral code or something. I think more, the reason why I go to philosophy is it's like, it's like taking drugs because you are altering the way that you see the world, I guess, where it's like, wow, like, oh, I love that. You know, the way that when you, when you, sometimes when I hear someone say that, like, oh, X is X or, um, you know, all philosophy is bunk because it's really just what other people want, you know, that you can't the critique of pure reason, like, oh man, so I was talking to my existentials in TF and he tells me I need to take this Kant class because he was talking to me about like, oh man, Kant's like, whoa, does do space and time actually exist or are they just like ways that we experience the world? You know what I mean? And oh man, that's so interesting because it's like, well, you know what, is there, is it possible that the fetal me and my corpse both exist in a certain sense now, right? Even though now it doesn't really, it's not, now is the way that I experience it. Right, it doesn't now mean anything even. There you go. And that's the thing. And I think of that as being so almost Eastern, right? Where there's this awesome, uh, there's awesome painting of the Buddha. It might not be awesome to other people, but it's, it's, it's sort of like, um, him being born. And there's a, there's a paint, there's a painting, it's one painting, but it's an image of him being born, uh, you know, child, adult, um, old death born childhood where it's it's very much it's very you know buddhist where it's like you know i am so there is this infinity right there that that that, that, that you you remove temporality from the picture and that's one of the things that i think also was interesting in freaking film dude mm -hmm. where you you are you are 
ripping apart the 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 but rather than them all existing in the now of the experience they still they all exist but they exist in what we perceive to be different times, times. yeah exactly and i think that that just like that 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 ripping apart is so interesting that removing or modifying time right that that kind of snipping where you can't really like i can't have a I, I can't make a film in the first dimension, right? Where it's like it's only there's only a dot, right? Like that's 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 a film <laughs> in the first dimension. Red Flatland. I have read the Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I do know that one, and that's that's uh, super interesting. And you know, like thinking about like hypercubes and and stuff like that. Yeah, Same. yeah, I love it. Um, and you know, whether those things, oh man, is that like Greek or you know? Oh, but you know, like the thing that 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 gets me the most is when I read Flatland. And and it, and it goes through like first dimension, second dimension, and and it's all it's it's making sense, you know. Like you feel like you get it, and then you get to third dimension, and and the fourth dimensional being comes and and tells you like, like look, you understand that a point in the second dimension is a line, and then when you add a third dimension, that's a plane, and then you make a cube, and then what happens if you expand that in one more dimension? Like you expand all of those points into one more dimension, and you feel like like you get it, you totally get it. But you can visualize it, right? I've never had it explained like that, but that's actually a really good it's, point. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how Flatland explains it, right? And and you you understand it intellectually, but it's so frustrating because you can't picture it, you can't imagine it. In because that way. where is it moving, right? It's like right, right there yeah, is yeah, nowhere. Yeah, that's amazing. I never, I, I really should read Flatland. No, but that's yeah, that is just so cool, you know. Um, and. And that's sometimes when you, when you say that, oh, I can't imagine, like, it's beyond imagination. Like, that's why, that's the drug thing. Right? It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, like, this, I can't even, I can't even, right? right? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I sort of, like, mm, these are really fun things for me to think about. But then it's like, well, on the other hand, like, I really like existentialism, where it's like, wow, like, what is a valuable human life? And maybe rationality can't, like, critique of pure reason is so good because I really want to know whether we can reason, right? And that's what Kant is, like, grappling with, you know? And I'm just like... I really want to know whether whether I can trust my reason, right? And Nietzsche says, you know, what is what is I'm going to say it in German because it, 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 the argument is better if not the whole thing, but what he says. He says, you know, what, how does Kant say that we can, you know, know things or like be rational? It's like vermöge eines vermögens, right? Which sounds it's very sort of like, oh, how uh, how can we have this faculty? Oh, because we have a faculty, right? It's sort of it, it, it is self-referential, right? And the other thing is like, man, you know. Uh, maybe our brains, we, we like math works to us and science works to us because it's just the way that our brain encounters the world, right? Uh, no, so yeah, I just been I've just been like wondering whether reason is true or not. But I still love science, and I think it's so cool. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's almost it's you know we care about so many different things, and we know a lot about so many different things, but we're getting to that point where we can really, we need to focus, right? And that's frustrating. It's frustrating and it's scary, you know, because it's like, I want to, I want to read all these things and I want to, I want to think about them and, and is this the right, is this the right, is this going to be as satisfying as the other thing is? Happily, Kierkegaard has a, has a solution. The solution is, what is the solution? Do you know what solution I don't know. The solution is, whatever you do, you regret it. So, you know, fuck it. Right. right. I think, was that us talking about this where, like, yeah, yeah, it was us. So, 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 should you text this person right now and tell them that you really miss them, or should you not do that? And will you regret doing it, or will you regret not doing it? Right. And the answer is, you will regret it either way. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you're right. It, it, we do need. We do need to focus, and it's it's really hard. And sometimes I do feel like you know, there's so many externalities to my life that it's like you know, sometimes it's like fuck, school is just like I, it's the last thing on my mind, right? Uh, especially at the beginning of this semester, quite obviously. And that's one of the reasons why I'm in this stupid culture and belief class that I shouldn't have taken. But in any case, actually I had a dream last night where I, uh, and because I'm sure that you love hearing about dreams. <laughs> I know. <laughs> dreams, I, yeah. dreams are just my life. It's fine for Merlin. Um, I had a dream last night where I dropped it and took another course. And I thought it was real when I woke up, but I wasn't. Mm. Yeah. Or unless I actually did, and that was like, I don't. I guess so I should look at. I guess I should yeah, look at. You should check. Yeah. Um, Do you, did you have I told you that I rarely ever remember my dreams? Hmm. Do you want to? I don't know. I hmm. see because uh, I I wake up and I I don't. It's like it's, it's something new begins. You know. It, it. I don't have a feeling of like I don't remember what I lasted before I fell asleep. I don't really have a memory of the thoughts that I had right before I fell asleep unless I make a conscious effort to think about them. 
and I don't remember anything about the night. And in a way, that's very pleasant, you know? But then again, I wonder, like, why? And what could I potentially learn from my dreams? And it's interesting because we know so little about sleep, right? Mm, like, yeah. we understand so little about what actually goes on in our brains while we're sleeping. And that's just so fascinating to me. Is, is, is like, what is actually going on? How necessary is sleep in some ways, right? Like, how how could we maybe optimize our sleep? You know, that's, I'm a very statistics life hack, life hack person. You, you know, the Uberman sleep schedule, right? And then sure. Oh, you should look it up. Um, it's like, and then you can just drink uh, silent and yeah. wear your chill chill and vape. Um, <laughs> No, uh, you do, it's like 20 minutes, you nap for 20 minutes, like every hour. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, no, I've heard of that. Yeah, and there's, there's people who have done that, and I've thought, I, mm, if only I had been thinking about this more like four months ago, because that's totally a thing I would have loved to try this summer, you know, like for a week, do but, that for a week and see how you do. But the thing is that, like, it, you, if you want to, you talk about like, oh, creation and stuff like that, and oh, optimization, um, is like well if you were if you were just writing code like that'd be fine right if you were if you were making MySpace you know that would be good because it doesn't matter whether it's light or dark out you know you can you can be up and coding right um, but I feel like a lot of the things that you I think this is untrue you know you can always write and think about and plan things you know but um, a lot of the stuff that you like to do it seems like a lot of VS stuff um, seems to be one that's very sort of tied up with humanity you know what I mean that is that does sort of sort of rock with these rhythms of the world that we that we are with right and and that's also a, I am conflict is maybe not the right word but something I've been thinking about is how much time do I want to spend doing things versus just observing humanity you know mm. because a lot of what I like to think about and what I like to do is very much tied to what happens in the real world quote unquote but then I also, like, I love working at night when everybody else is asleep, right? Mm -hmm. and, and part of the reason for that, I think, is one, I like darkness for thinking, but two, I also like the feeling of being up when everybody else is asleep, you know? And, and having time to not be in the real world and have just be myself with my thoughts, right? Yeah. I, that's mm, I get that. Yeah, definitely. But you, that's a really great, I, I totally get that. And there's a great line about that. There's a good book you should read. It's called the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. Mm, um, yeah, for, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about um, this autistic kid and he likes to go on walks at night and pretend like he's the only one in the world. Right. And I, I, I like that there is a kind of, and this is such a weird reference. You know, do you know Sager Ross? No. Icelandic band. They have some great, they have some great, um, they're a little bit abstract, I guess, but they have some great sound stuff that it sounds like the end of the world. Not like, not like Verdi's DA's era where it's like, oh man, you know, like, whoa. Uh, but it just, the, 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 the thing that it evokes in me sort of seems like, you know, you're on a city street and there's like newspapers sort of like drifting around, but you know, no one's there. Right. Uh, sort of, you know, we've seen this in film. Right. Uh, but that's something that is very sort of, but is, Rather than rather than being threatening, is more melancholy. But so yeah, I can I can definitely I can definitely get that. And you like darkness for thinking? Yeah, there is there is a you know um, the the what a what a wonderful world. There's um you know the the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. You know there is definitely a, a kind of uh, tranquility at night. You know, I don't I wonder why. And you said sleep. You know why scientists say we have to sleep? No, I mean like you, well, you thought like it's because we get tired. <laughs> Interesting. That's yeah. it. That's pretty I much like all it. we yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and there's so many. So my cognitive psychology class is 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 touching on it a little bit in terms of like memory. You know, like we kind of know ish that memories are consolidated and move from one place to another, maybe a little bit in the brain, right, when we sleep. But at the same time. You know, like like that that kid who didn't sleep for however many days, he was basically fine, right? I mean, like weird stuff was going on, but we can't really make out why. And that's I don't know. It's it's it, that totally seems like a thing we should know more about. You know, like twenty first century, and and we know like or we think we know. What do we really know? We think we know that like planet Earth is is you know flat and and we know 
about ourselves and our lives a little bit more than we used to, but at the same time, there's still so much we don't know. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and often it does seem, you know, because uh, you think about, or one thinks about these things right now is sort of thinking about this too when I was talking about like doing stuff with my major, right, that the brain is something that's sort of this very much uh, a frontier in a lot of ways. Um, in the same way that space used to be sort of the final frontier, I think, you know, there is so much you can, I, I cannot space may be an endless void, but I think that the, the, the most enigmatic um, thing is the human mind, right, and consciousness and, and all these things that, that are, you know, taken for granted obviously, but also just so ethereal, right? I really, uh, that's why, you know, so talking about the brain and philosophy is something that I really love. But, you know, it's, it's true. We do believe that we, you know, are sort of on the, on the outskirts of, like, actual science. Like, we're, we're pretty much almost to the end of science, right? Like, that's sort of, that's but that feeling sometimes. It's such a human, I think that's, that's, I think it's, it's almost like a new failure that should be introduced to, like, these psychological concepts, right? Because I feel like that's not just the case in science, it's also the case in politics, right? Like, the imagining a future beyond democracy, like, not seeing democracy as the ultimate end of whatever. And I feel I like... Think, I think Hitler, I think Hitler was big on that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but why? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Just in that, like, you know, and the, oh, God, I always talk about the same goddamn shit. <laughs> talk about how, uh, you know, if fascism was going to, was going to, you know, democracy is so messy, but we've got machines now. We've got telegrams, we've got telegraphs. And oh, it's oh, the right. future that we're going to, as mm-hmm. long as there's enough bureaucracy, like, we can, we're going to, we're going to be, get up and be efficient as shit. And the reason why is because democracy is right i've never heard so i've never heard this expression in english but in german we like to say like attacking something from the left right you know like politically and and it but it's almost like that right like criticizing democracy or or thinking about post-democratic societies from a left-wing rather than a right-wing perspective is really interesting right and but that seems like that seems like is that like leninism like what 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 is that well i don't know it could mean very many different things but seeing as like you know internet the internet affords humanity so many opportunities that maybe we haven't really explored enough yet in terms of politics, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, I think it's, it's just also, I, going back to the scholarship thing, another part of the like selection process is you get together in a group and there's like an observer and he's silent and the group gets together in six people and every one of those gets to give a like five, six, seven, eight minute presentation on something and then you discuss. And so the, the, my presentation was about do we see democracy as the ultimate end to politics and are we right in, you know, like liberating quote unquote countries and bringing democracy to them? And is that something that can ever work? You know, can we go in to these countries like Syria and Iraq and say, like, look, we're here. We're liberating you. Democracy, this, yay! You know, like <laughs> there's this great meme I need to send to you, which is like, uh, it's like, um, it's like a fighter jet dropping bombs, and it's like, I'm gonna free the fuck out of you, yeah, right? And and it's not even just you know, like even apart from the war itself, right? Is it? Can we go in and say one? Can we say? Can we? Do we think we have the ultimate solution here? Like, do we really think democracy is that great that we go to other countries to spread it there? I think you mean the final solution. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's uh, it's actually about orange juice, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. But then also, do we feel like? Or do we do we really think that going into a country that has never experienced democracy before and telling them like this is democracy, can that work? Or do they need to make that these experiences that led us to democracy themselves? Interesting. That's a really great well yeah, and um yeah, exactly. And this is something that I've thought about before, which I think is sort of fun to think about, is whether democracy is for good or whether democracy is for democracy. Like what's the point, right? Mm-hmm. It seems as though generally. I think the generally accepted idea is that democracy is, is good, right? That's why we have it, because it's, it, is, it is good, not because it is... Dem- like, the point of democracy is to make good things happen rather than to make things that are democratic happen. Right. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know if that's necessarily, like... I don't really, I don't really know if that's really true, mm-hmm. you know? I think, I think, I think it, it is much more democracy is about being democratic... Whether it should or shouldn't, I think in practice it is about being democratic right. rather than being good. Because yeah. it seems as though, so like the, there have been 
times when it has been positive, but there have also been a lot of times when democracy has not really worked mm-hmm. out. However, it seems like it's probably better than Sharia law. I don't know. And I think your point is really interesting where it's like, hey, you know what? There was the terror, you know, and then they had Napoleon. They had another Napoleon for a while. But, you know, what? eventually, like, France got France got on its feet, and they, they went through some real shit. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah, and this reminds me of, of a discussion I had with my history teacher in high school, which was about the term, it was somewhat semantic, but then also somewhat political. So like the term ideology, right? Um, he defined ideology as something that, 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 that doesn't allow for any other worldview, right? And he said, democracy can't be an ideology because democracy is in its essence allowing all views in a way, right? But I think we were, like, the class's opinion at large, at least, was, like, look, no, democracy is totally an ideology, right? It's it's something that we maybe don't want to think of as an ideology because ideology is typically connotated with something, quote-unquote, bad, right? Or, like, something that doesn't allow other worldviews, but democracy in and of itself of course doesn't allow other worldviews as well, right? You can't go into a democratic system and be fascist right. and be accepted, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I think I think it's dangerous... Maybe not now, maybe not tomorrow, but like in the future, uh, which is very intentionally vague, like forgetting that we may not be, we have maybe not finalized society, right? Mm -hmm. Like society and and our system to organize society can always get better. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's interesting when you talk about, well, I think about, you can, I mean, I'm sure that there is a fascist party, right? But one of the interesting things is that like, man, it must be ideological in order to maintain itself, mm-hmm. right? In the sense that if you have a bunch of fascists and everybody votes for fascism, then you're fascist now, right? <laughs> so d- democracy doesn't really, it, in order to preserve its democratic nature, it must in some ways be ideological because because that is how it continues to right. exist, right? Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I remember when you said the definition of ideology, I thought you were going to talk about Marx because Marx says, um, and this is in the movie, uh, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. Uh, Marx says, or he writes in Das Kapital, ideology is, uh, the, the, the way that he um, encapsulates ideology is, sie wissen das nicht, aber sie tun es. Where it's sort of this thing where it is, and for our people who <laughs> don't speak German. Uh, Fuckers. You know, <laughs> of whom there are probably three or four, probably. You should not be listening to this podcast. Go listen to Spanish language radio or whatever the hell you are. <laughs> this is educational. It's totally educational. Sie wissen das nicht, aber sie tun es. is like they know it not, but they do it. Um, I think that like even more sort of supremely ideological things, and this does come into like Lacanian psychoanalysis that Lev will talk your ear off. That's how I know about it. Where... Uh, you are so you are it's the this is water thing mm-hmm. you don't even know right it's just the, the societal and everything else is so it's like Wittgenstein you don't even have a fucking word for this right mm-hmm. there's no if there's no apposition it's like Derrida you can't think if there is no inside one cannot say outside right that, that there there needs to be these two things and, mm-hmm. and ideology is, is where there are where it is impossible for you to sort of like get outside of it or you right, can right. you know that's you can't even you can't even you don't even allow for anything else to exist no. do you want to stop the recording no we don't have to stop recording we never stop recording max <laughs> i was being, always recording i was being a bullshitter today and i was talking about how our rooms are museums because they are we fill them with totems of of ourselves in the past right? i no fucking kidding. I was, when I was in Williamsburg over the summer, I, we took this like archaeology tour through Williamsburg and the guy was like, like, look, a hundred years from now, when people, people are going to find your trash, right? You are your trash. And, and that was, I think that was <laughs> not just, I am trash. That's well, that's you a- are trash, but you are also just <laughs> your trash, right? You, like, you will be the things that you find in archeology span are never like the things that were on the outset of culture, right? It was never like you, you don't find like the, the wow pieces, you know, you find whatever people threw away. And that was really interesting to me. It was yeah. like a, Kind of a, you know, you, it's it's obvious, but it's only obvious once you. So if something's it. interesting and important, just chuck it. Some, right, yeah, 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 just throw it away if yeah, someone wants to find. Yeah, he was talking about like how you know people will find like our receipts that we throw away. You know, 
Yeah, and that was... Hmm, that it's, was it's really interesting because also, uh, just talking about in my linguistics class, they talked about how they figured out Old Church Slavonic, which is the the parent language for Russian and Slovenian mm-hmm. and Slovakian. Uh, and what they would do is these people, uh, they would write on birch birch uh, leaves um, and just like as, like for notes and carrying with people. And it was really nice because it was like paper, right? Um, and one of them dropped in like this really muddy... Uh, wet place, and you would think that that would like be bad for the wood, but or the birch bark, but it actually wasn't. Um, and it was like it was like thousands of years ago, um, and then they uh, they they you know uncovered it, and uh, you know just read. This little kid was like doing. He was doing. He was practicing writing, right? He was practicing. He was like you know, uh, and that's part of how they figured out like what it mm-hmm. sounded like. Which is so like that kid cannot conceptualize how his doodles right change and, and he will never know right there you go yeah, yeah but I think whatever I say is pretty like my Twitter feed I am I, glad have you thought about that I am like a hundred years from now people will read your Twitter feed people like, and it's gonna be there's gonna be a whole library of congress section for my Twitter feed <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be <laughs> zebra screams <biblical>. everywhere <laughs> it's gonna be I'm gonna have it's gonna <laughs> those my zebra scream. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Nice. That's what it is. I did. Yeah. Um, I was still thinking about soliloquy I, in a way that is appealing to me. And then also, what's the other name? I had a different name. Oh, soliloquy? Mm. Yeah, but it's just t- that's talking to yourself, though. Yeah, exactly. Because we, remember, we had this, you were drunk, I think, when we had this conversation. With the same people? Yeah. Yeah. With the same person. Yeah. yeah it was, it could, there it was could something be, really frantic about it. It could be soliloquy, yeah. And then, then, then I, had, I had something else. Obloquy. Mm. Calliope. Um, mm. Oh, mm. 